That can't be right. Is that really the number? Is the unexciting and completely so-so Jacoby Brissett out? Did the corpse of Joe Flacco get replaced with a host from Westworld? No? All as it seems. My goodness, what a gift. This is obviously the stone-cold lead pipe lock of the year. It was Thursday, late October of 2019, and I was checking the week's lines for the first time. I saw the Colts hosting the Broncos. Thinking the Colts were sure to be a massive favorite when I saw what I thought was an extremely reasonable number, I began to salivate. When I compared the number to what I thought it should be, my biased mind didn't see a little bit of value. It saw the Latunza heist from Goodfellas. I could steal buku bucks and not even have to use a gun. One of my favorite parts of the football betting week is checking the line. For me, before checking them, I like to work through all of my narrative predictions and then come up with a hypothetical line based on my own personal power ratings. Simplest explanation of power ratings would be how many points better or worse a given team is compared to an average team. If Team A's power rating is plus 5, that would mean they are 5 points better than an average team. This is assuming an average team is worth 0. Less than average or lousy teams would have a negative rating. Take the rating between Team A and their opponent, factor in home field advantage, any major injuries, and voila! You have a hypothetical point spread. Subjective? Sure. But at least a baseline of what you believe the line should be. This was a great way for me to quantify my more qualitative style of evaluating football teams. I will be the first to admit that I am not a professional sports better. I'm a gambler. I like to bet football. But more than just itching to gamble... I like to speculate the games like a stock market of professional football's 32 teams. Power ratings allow me to step away from my speculative narratives that are always changing and instead focus on a steadier, number-related opinion of the strength or weakness of a given team in comparison to the rest of the league. My personal narrative style of betting is ingrained from vivid childhood memories of going to the smoke-filled sports bars with my dad and learning the intricacies of the point spread as I rooted for his weekly bets. He didn't dive into stats or shop the value of point spreads. Instead, he watched football. He watched a lot of games every week and understood the fluctuations that teams went through throughout the course of the season. Simply put, he followed the narrative. Is that the smartest way to do it? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not if you ask the pros. Too much eyeball test and shooting from the hip with gut calls for the structured methods preferred by true handicappers. Definitely not if you ask the analytic community. Where are the spreadsheets and flowcharts? Have you seen my abacus? But if you ask the gamblers... The non-professionals who bet for fun, and don't get me wrong, many of these amateurs play for big money, but there is an understanding that breaking even and not losing money is more than worth the cost of investing in an entire NFL season. Week to week, you get to chase a winning streak, optimistic that at any moment, you're going to go on a run. 
because you have the utmost confidence in your opinion. Sometimes that moment condenses itself into one game and you go for broke. The Colts, six-point favorites against the Broncos, was going to be one of those money-making games. My power rating had the Colts fresh off a big home win against division rival Houston as a 14-point favorite versus the visiting Broncos, who had just been crushed 10 days earlier by the Chiefs. 14 points better, and I only have to lay six? What a deal. I loved the Colts. They had won and covered two weeks in a row, and I had been betting them. After the Broncos got crushed at home, they traded one of their best wide receivers, and the starting quarterback was going to be the aging Joe Flacco. All systems go for betting against the Broncos. I was confident, really confident. My standard unit of betting was not going to be enough. This was a potential game of the year for me, and I wasn't going to sit there on Monday upset that I didn't profit to the level of confidence that my cockiness had instilled in me. So I decided to double the bet. No, triple it. No, double the double. Oh, just bet something close to, I don't know, how about the most I've ever bet on a single game? After confirming the bet, I had a brief moment of reconsideration. Was that too much? Did I just get in over my head? I quickly self-affirmed that, no, that is the stuff scared amateurs say. Pros bet big when they are confident. And if I ever intended to be good, truly good at this, I needed to make big-time plays. Besides, I had the right side. There was no way home for the Broncos, as much as I tried to think through the game. If my confidence in the Colts was without reproach, then go ahead and bet big, right? Wrong, wrong, wrong. The game was really not so unpredictable in hindsight. Even looking back to what I thought prior to betting is chopped full of missed narrative edges for Denver. First, the Colts were off a division win. The rivalry win could leave them less hyped this week, so they could be flat. With Jacoby Brissett, the offense is never going to light it up, which should always be a quality of favorites laying a big number. That's a big number, six points, much larger than the two points the Colts won by in a low-scoring 15-13 game. Low scoring was predictable versus an above-average Denver defense that was embarrassed in their last game at home against rival Kansas City, who put up 30 points. That game was 10 days earlier on a Thursday, which would give the Broncos more time to recover and prepare itching to redeem themselves. All factors that could have been the reason to, if nothing else, just bet a reasonable size bet on Indy. Although, it seems clear now that Denver was the smarter side. The game itself was exhilarating with, big for me, money on it. I wish I hadn't been so confident that after the first quarter it was going to be a non-sweat game. It made me spend the majority of the time cursing myself for being so unlucky, unbelieving, and unaware. My mood changed and I felt slightly alive to cover towards the end of the game. I wish I enjoyed the ride more. Indy was driving but settled for a field goal to take the lead. It was Adam Vinatieri's third of four attempts and he'd missed his extra point attempt after the Colts' only touchdown. 
This was not unforeseen, though, as Vinatieri had been struggling all season. Yet another misconcern of a six-point favorite. With one last gasp for the Broncos, Joe Flacco could have been my savior. One pick six, and I could get the backdoor cover. Every gambler should know that if you're rooting for a pick six in the last minute of a game, you are in a spread-dead and lousy situation. Until... Flacco fumbled. The ball laid on the ground. A cheap scoop and score to win. Nah, Indy just dove on the ball as the clock ran out. Maybe it was Denver that dove on it. It doesn't matter. My money was gone with the Broncos losing the game but covering the spread. It wasn't until a few weeks later that I learned what my specific level of stupidity was. As painful as the loss was, both to my ego and my financial future, It ended up being one of the most valuable lessons in gambling I had ever received. Listening to the great and wise professional better R.J. Bell, he made an astute point in terms of game evaluation. His podcast co-hosts were completely one-sided on a particular game. R.J., while on the same side, was pressing the others to come up with a path to victory for the other team. Why was he so adamant about finding a path to victory for the other team? They had a solid handicap for their team. Why not just go with it? It was then that Mr. Bell spoke the sentence that lit the light bulb above my dome. If you can't come up with any reason to bet the other side, then you are missing something. This was contradictory to everything that I had ever thought in terms of value. In the simplest of simpleton theories, if my power rating in the point spread were the same, then there was no value. If my power rating was different from the point spread, then the more difference, the more value. And if I can't come up with any reason to bet the other side, that means the side I'm on is a surefire winner. Looking back on it, this sounds super square. But at the time, I felt so sharp that my handicapping allowed me to see an advantage that no other professional, at least those making the point spreads, could see. How foolish. In hindsight, the large disparity should have set off the alarm. If you go to a nice restaurant and order a steak dinner, let's just say it normally goes for $50. If it's a special at the restaurant for $40, you know you're getting a good value. If, however... The special is for $15? That's not value. That's cause for concern. Think about it this way. The best bookmakers in the world, those who are setting the number, are factoring in all of the intangibles. They then put that number out there for professional bettors to attack. These bettors hit the games for thousands of dollars at a time. Then the public gets involved with much smaller bets, but hundreds of thousands of them collectively. All of this allows the market to work through the number and give the bookmakers an accurate idea of where to price the game. This idea is known as the wisdom of crowds. The theory is that the collective opinion of an independent group is more accurate than that of a single expert. The idea that after all of the professional and public opinions and all of the bookmakers' market-correcting adjustments, the number would be massively off is highly improbable. 
especially considering that some amateur dope like me, far from the wisdom of crowds single expert, is the one coming up with this outlying number. To then think that this is not just a value play, but an all-in bet of the century was as square as I could be. Losing that bet left me mad, sad, and feeling dumb. It was an absolute necessity, however, in my evolution as a sports better. There is something to be said that when you make bets based on power ratings, that is to say you look for value in the number, you want value, but not too much value. The disparity should be reasonable enough that the line doesn't seem egregiously wrong, but an edge is prevalent. As an amateur better, you must be humble in knowing that your power ratings aren't going to be so sharp that professional line makers are putting out lines giving you 8 plus points worth of value. There is a reason that the casino is nicer than your humble abode. But if your number shows a couple of points worth of value, then betting those games consistently can tell you how your system is working. It can help you make adjustments and compare your numbers to any other source that you would look to for team rankings. I could have looked at the Colts ranking on NFL.com and seen that they were number 12. Then I would get an idea that my number 2 ranking at the time was outlandish and overhyped. From there, you must do an exercise in nuanced debate. You must play devil's advocate and make the strongest case you possibly can for the other side. Sometimes your counter-argument will be so strong that it'll scare you off your surefire bet. That's fine, because at least you're not missing anything. If your pick is solid, the argument you make for the other side doesn't negate the argument for your side being even stronger. The sharp opinion should survive the scrutiny of self-doubt. Doubting you have a one-sided argument is a sign of a nuanced, thoughtful opinion. Winning sports bettors all have that quality in common. Maybe I should give it a try.